Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Fasharo. I'm in the studio with fellow co-host Joe Wolfon. What up? What up is uh, not good. Um, it, I mean, there's really no other way to put it. Kind of a subdued atmosphere in the studio here after a very subdued, eerie, somber scene at Scotiabank Arena last night. I was there. We can talk about it. Yeah, I've personally never experienced that kind of atmosphere at an NBA arena before. You would have never guessed the Warriors just won a finals game to stay alive in dramatic fashion based on their um, mood after the game. I've never seen anything like the press conference Bob Myers held um, where he was like almost weeping about what happened to Kevin Durant. The Raptors obviously were also upset about Kevin Durant and they were dealing with the fact that they lost a potential closeout game for the championship after leading by six with three minutes left. I saw the championship merchandise. I saw the championship apparel being quickly, uh, hastily removed from the area around the Raptors locker room. I saw Bill Russell. Mm. Shades of 2013, perhaps. Yeah, yeah Steph and Clay went full Ray Allen, get those ropes out of here on the Raptors. Uh, I saw Bill Russell. And he was being escorted away after he had been gotten... He, had been put in position to get ready to hand out the finals MVP award, which was named after him. It uh, just all in all, like the Raptors have some devastation to get through from a, from a basketball perspective, but the Warriors, Kevin Durant, obviously the Warriors as an organization, fans, anyone watching the game as a whole uh, has some devastation to get through over the, what looks like potentially catastrophic injury to one of just the all time greats, man. Yeah. So we haven't gotten official word yet. Um, maybe that news will have come down by the time the podcast posts, but as of now, the news we have is that the Warriors believe that it is a torn Achilles. And I mean, there is some variation there between what, you know, whether it's a partially torn or a fully ruptured Achilles tendon, but regardless, we're looking at a recovery probably of close to a year, if not more for a guy who is on the wrong side of 30 now. And I'll say this, I mean, that this sucks any way you want to spin it there you know there's no other way to put it but i do think that durant's game is one that can survive an injury like this not that his explosiveness isn't important not that it's not going to affect his ability at the defensive end of the floor but the combination of his size and his length and his shooting ability i think is going to make the post-injury transition a little bit more seamless than it might be for some other guys who rely more on their explosiveness. And I think, you know, we might see him... Ha- like, he's going to be kind of a Dirk-like type of player, I think, regardless. But what what just really hurts is I feel like Durant's really been working toward this symbolic mantle of being the number one guy, like the best player in the league. And for so long, he was struggling to kind of wrest that belt away from LeBron, and you could argue Steph as well. And I kind of, like, he was there. You know, he had maybe a two- or three-week stretch during this postseason where I feel like the consensus was that he had taken that belt and that he was that number one guy. And then he goes out with the calf injury, and he comes back in a desperation game, puts forth... 12 pretty unbelievable minutes of basketball. And, I mean, you can look at those 12 minutes and say that they won the Warriors the game. He drops 11 points in those 12 minutes and was a plus six. 
in a game that they team, won by one. Team high plus six, tied for a game high plus yeah. six. Made all three of his threes. Honestly, a pretty solid defensive performance, too. He forced a travel on Pascal Siakam. I think he blocked a shot. He, he hounded was, Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, I mean, he fouled them, but, yeah. and he was moving pretty gingerly, but he, he held his own. And just, you know, to see him go down like that um, in the midst of, of all of that stuff, you know, his having finally broken through and gotten to where he was trying to get to, um, his basically trying heroically to come back and will his team to a victory when they were facing elimination in the finals. Then, of course, for, for it to be greeted the way that it was uh, by some of those Toronto fans, I don't want to paint all of Raptors fans with that brush, but again, I don't think there's any way to spin it other than it being a pretty embarrassing episode. Unfortunately, that, that entire fan base just has to own it, and that's, that's kind of just how these things go. And I, that sucked to see, frankly. Uh, I, I'm glad that they kind of turned it around and that the Raptors players were able to settle them down and that ultimately that turned into chance of KD as he walked into the tunnel. But I heard and saw some people trying to justify it, saying, well, they didn't realize how severe the injury was when it first happened. They couldn't have known. And that's not an excuse to me. Like, you, you cheer a player getting injured no matter the severity of the injury. That's garbage. And I think... Weirdly enough, that just sort of set the tone for the rest of the game. There was such a like a weird energy in the crowd and in the building after that. It felt like both teams, their rhythms were like a little bit off. Until the fourth quarter, I actually thought the quality of play was quite high and things got really, really intense and the building got loud again. But for a while after that, it was just super strange. Yeah, as far as the fans, obviously it was Bush League. And a lot of the, well, not a lot of the fans, but there were clearly some fans that were like, jeering him and waving at him and yeah that was bush league that was trash as demarcus cousin says it was embarrassing i will say i think there were plenty of fans and the majority of them that a a lot of people were cheering because unfortunately for duran and the warriors the play he got injured on turned into a turnover and abaca went the other way to lay it in i think it cut the deficit to four and i think but the cheers continued after that well that's as, what i was gonna say i think was, some like, of it was residual the but then some of it was people getting carried away and adding to the cheer the fact that Durant was down. And like you said, regardless of whether they knew how serious it was or not, that's just, you just don't do that. Like, no matter the situation, finals, regular season, pre, it doesn't matter. Don't cheer a guy when he's hurt. So, yeah, I mean, there's nothing really else to say about that. Yeah, no, except that, look, there is just, in every fan base, there is a certain toxic element. Just fan culture in general, I think. When, you know, a subset of people is pitted against another, and that leads some people, obviously, to cheer uh, another person's misfortune. It, it's kind of gross. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of positive talk about the Raptors fan base over the past few weeks. And I think deservedly so. It is a great and passionate and loyal fan base and one that is diverse. And there are a lot of good things that you can say about it. But ultimately, it's still a fan base. And that <laughs> it's not exempt from a lot of the, the toxic elements that we've seen, you know, with other fan bases throughout this entire season and throughout the past few years, whether it's, you know, hurling slurs at players or, you know, pushing players when they go into the stands. Uh, you know, when, when a crowd gets whipped up into a frenzy, like there is still a sort of mob mentality that creeps in and bad things can happen. And, and fandom can bring out a lot of good in people, but it can bring out a lot of bad in people as well. And I think we saw that last night. Yeah, and and not even just because of the fan reaction, but 
Look, don't get me wrong. I mean, we're both sitting here in Toronto. We know what that win would have meant to this fan base. And when they went up six with three minutes left, like that, that building felt it, man. Like they felt it. They thought it was coming. And it, I mean, it wouldn't have been tarnished from a feeling perspective, but there was a piece of me that like when, when the dust settled and I kind of realized what had happened, almost thought, you know what? Like, I think it's better the Raptors didn't win it tonight. <laughs> not not that it felt better, yeah. but like... No, I know. Something about it would have felt a little bit wrong. Yeah, and maybe wrong's the, the wrong word. I don't like... But yeah, it, it just wouldn't have felt, um, I, I think, as complete as it should have. As it should. I still think they're going to... I mean, we'll get into this, but I still think they're going to close it out at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just... It almost feels like this wasn't the night to do it, you know? I guess. I mean, if if you believe in karmic retribution, then I guess maybe you could say that that's what we saw. I, I don't know. All I can say is that six-point lead with three minutes left felt like a 20-point lead to me. The way that the momentum had turned, the run that Kawhi was on, the way the building was shaking, how exhausted the Warriors looked, the tide had just so totally turned against them. And... It was also just something that we've seen from the Raptors time and again this postseason where, you know, they spend a lot of the game trailing and they are always sort of threatening to make their run. They never let the other team get too far out of reach. And then they make this huge fourth quarter push. It just seemed like that is what had happened and that the Warriors were totally out of gas. And I was thinking to myself, like, they they do not have enough left in the tank to overcome a six-point deficit. I know it's only a two-possession game, and there are three minutes to play, but I did not see it happening. And I was close to 100% sure that the Raptors were going to win. And uh, it was just a, a stunning turnaround in that final three minutes. A combination, I think, of the Warriors executing very well and the Raptors executing very poorly. Here's the thing, though. Like... The Warriors executed very well on the three buckets they got in that stretch. Right. For the most part, their offense was kind of a tire fire too. Or not not their offense, but like their general execution. They had a turnover on a, ba- a, a backcourt violation. A backcourt violation. A turnover on an offensive foul. There was another miss in there somewhere, but it was the boogie uh cylinder interference. Right. Yeah. So like I don't know. I, it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, they just, you know, executed so well. They executed like champions. Like, no, Stephen Clay hit big shots. Right. Draymond made a great defensive play to block Kyle Lowry's potential championship winner. And other than that, they, they kind of made some dumb mistakes that almost handed it back to the Raptors. Yeah. I mean, I get, when I say great execution, I just mean you've got two shooters on the floor. We've seen all series what the Raptors have been able to do. Basically taking those guys away, keying in on them, and and forcing the Warriors to try and beat them with their non-shooters. And in a situation like that, where it's like, the Raptors have to be thinking, we're going to make anybody hit these shots rather than Clay and Steph. Those guys still manage to work themselves open for those three threes. To get nine points in three minutes against a, a keyed-in defense is pretty incredible. And... Um, I, you know, just the way that they were able to, to generate those threes. I think there were a couple breakdowns on the Raptors end, frankly. Like the one that Steph got when he gave up the ball on the right wing and curled around and came back up on the left, he got a screen from Cousins around the elbow and Van Vliet got hung up on it just a bit. And I think Gasol needed to jump out at Steph on that play, didn't do it, and Steph had enough daylight to get that three yeah, off. That was the pin down, right? Yes. And uh, I want to say the first, the first clay three... That was um, the one where Draymond 
set two screens on Kawhi. He, he flipped them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, he, so, so the one screen got him open to catch the ball. Exactly. He flipped the screen around and that got him open. And, and so what had happened was Green basically slipped a screen on the left side yeah. for Steph and the, the Raptors trapped. And that left, it was, I think it was Lowry who was guarding Draymond. That left him on that side of the floor. He was stranded there. So when Draymond set that second screen on Kawhi to free Clay, the only guy on that side of the floor was Norman Powell. And I think he needed to rotate up to challenge that clay three because he was guarding Quinn Cook. And that's what I'm saying. It's like at that point, you got to take away Clay Thompson's three and force him to give it up to Quinn Cook and make Quinn Cook hit a shot. But Powell didn't make that rotation and Clay got a clean three. So solid execution and poor execution both ways, right? Um, again, just the, the, the Raptors go from looking like they had it in the bag to looking a little bit shell-shocked as the Warriors managed to make that comeback. Yeah, the way the Warriors got those nine points and then it finishing with Draymond getting a block on a three-point shot, I thought it, you know if the Warriors don't pull off the, the complete comeback and they fall at some point in the next two games, I thought it was very fitting that they gave us, like that trio gave us one more run to remember them by. Because the way they got it was very Warriors-esque, right? Like mm-hmm. the pin down for Steph after he gives the ball up, cuts through the paint, and basically makes like a U. The the clay three that happened on two Draymond screens that we just talked about where he switched one of the screens and then Draymond getting the game-saving block. Like it was very... It, it was very... And Iguodala making a fantastic play on that, on that last possession yes, as well. Yeah, to force to, the ball out of Kawhi's hands. Yeah, and I think... I mean, we can we can break down that whole play if you want to, but just a really smart decision by him, and I think great clock awareness too. I think there was maybe about five seconds left on the game clock when Kawhi started that drive. Iguodala came up and and forced forced him to give it up to Van Vliet, and then a great closeout by Livingston too. And again, you know, Van Vliet puts the ball on the floor to attack that closeout, but there's two seconds on the clock, and he just doesn't really have enough time to get into the paint. You can bet that the refs probably aren't going to blow their whistles in that situation so he gives it up to Lowry in the corner and Draymond who uh, Marcus was trying to set a flare screen on I think Draymond manages to get to the other side of Gasol so he's able to challenge Lowry in the corner and I think if both Gasol and Van Vliet had recognized that Gasol could have slipped off of that and been wide open under the basket but I think it was maybe just like a bit too risky of a pass for Van Vliet the safe pass was to Lowry in the corner so just a series of great plays by the Warriors down the stretch to manage to pull that out in extremely improbable fashion. Yeah, and the Gasol-Lowry um, thing in the end on that last possession, I agree. I do think Gasol was trying to set a screen. It obviously didn't work, and it ended up with just really terrible spacing, which is why this can bring us to our next point that I think a lot of people have been talking about already. If you call a timeout on that, and I know what you're going to say. You're going to say it's it's results. No, 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 but, no, no, but, no, no. I, but I agree. Here's the thing. I... I'm fine with not calling a timeout there if it's a live ball turnover. 100%. Right? They were going against a set defense. Exactly. Anyway. If, if it's a live ball turnover and you're thinking you don't want the Warriors to set their defense, I live with that. But it was a offensive foul on Cousins. Therefore, it's a dead ball turnover. Like you're, you're inbounding it anyway. The Warriors are setting their defense anyway. You've got one timeout left. You've got a possession to win the NBA championship. Use that timeout, especially when... Your reasoning for using back-to-back timeouts at the 305 mark when your team is rolling on a 12-2 run, got stops on six of the last defensive seven uh, defensive possessions, 
And your reasoning for calling two timeouts then is A, you wanted to give your guys a rest for the final push, but also because when you lose those two timeouts after the three three minute mark, if you're using like a use it or lose it mentality with your timeouts, then how do you not use the last one with 15 seconds left in a one point game for the championship? Like it just doesn't add up. It was, look, we've praised Nick Nurse for a lot of these playoffs. He's had a good, really good finals, great conference finals, good yeah. playoffs all in all. Impressive for a first year NBA head coach, but he really mismanaged the timeout situation in the final three minutes. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about this. I I 100% agree he should have used a timeout before that final possession. Like you said, it's one play to potentially win a championship, draw something up, like get everybody on the same page. I think you're right on that last possession. The spacing was not ideal. And, I, you know, I, I'm sure they, they had a play in mind that they knew that they were running. It's not like they were just going out there and doing whatever. Maybe Nurse is calling that from the sidelines. You know, maybe it's just sort of like an option play where it's read and react. But to get everybody in a huddle and draw up a play and have a plan B, I just think you're going to end up probably with a better outcome. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get off the winning shot, but like you give yourself a better chance, I think, in that situation. Like you said, you're not attacking a scrambled defense off a live ball turnover. The defense is set already. So I, I definitely think that that was a situation where he needed to, to use one of those timeouts. And, and a big part of that, too, was like, I just thought the Raptors went way too slowly on that last possession. They were approaching it like it was a tie game. And I think down one in that situation, I understand the impulse to sort of go for the walk-off, but they had 15 seconds. Like, you go quick. You give yourself a chance to foul and get the ball back, or get an, an offensive, offensive rebound, rebound maybe. But to run it down as far as they did, and this is what you know what I'm talking about. Maybe if there's like eight seconds on the clock when Kawhi starts his drive, he feels a little bit more confident in his ability to try and puncture that double team before he gives the ball up. Maybe Van Vliet, when he gets the ball, there's six seconds left, and he feels like he can try and drive to the hoop. Like, there's so many other options there than when it's such a late clock situation. The two timeouts at the three-minute mark, I'm not as totally opposed to I understand and this is where we can talk about like a process versus results thing and when we were talking about you know the sort of Nick Nurse versus Mike Budenholzer argument in the conference finals and the moves that Nurse has made that have paid off where they could have gone the other way and we could be telling a different story that's one where if it works out and the Raptors come out and have like a solid push out of that timeout and look even more energized and just you know put their foot down and that's curtains I feel like that is the kind of thing that nurse is getting praised for where it's like hey man your team was rolling three minutes left typically you let them play but nurse proactively calls those timeouts and it helped get the Raptors over the finish line you know I I think that's one where you can look at the decision making and think that it made some measure of sense I also think like I went back and watched that and it looked like Lowry was signaling for the timeout and I don't know if that was because he was getting a, a signal from Nurse uh, from the sideline to call that timeout or because he was tired or sensed that Kawhi was tired, but it looked like Lowry was the one who was signaling for that timeout. I mean, obviously, I felt like in that situation, the Warriors were the more tired team. Yeah, they benefited from from a double timeout. Yeah. They used both of them back-to-back. Right. So, obviously, it backfired. didn't work out. Um, but I think at least... In that situation, there is a, a rationale that is somewhat justifiable. I don't necessarily agree with it, 
but I don't think it was like an objectively terrible decision. Not using the timeout before the final possession with, with 16 seconds left was, a, I think, a terrible decision. Yeah, agreed. I, I think the last one was the way more egregious decision, but I still, man, with 305, and I get what you're saying. He, we probably would have praised him for like a proactive timeout, but you know, you're talking about that push to get over the finish line. They were on pace to cruise through the finish line. Like the Warriors, and you, you said it, like how confident you were with the Raptors up six because it did not look like the Warriors had it in them to rally back from that. Like as tired as maybe Lowry was or he thought Kawhi was, whatever the case may be, I can almost promise you the Warriors were even more tired and more fatigued and looked so winded. And they like they really did look like a champion on the ropes just accepting almost that the knockout punch was coming. And then this timeout happens. They get two full timeouts worth of rest, and they come back. And quite frankly, it was the Warriors who looked like a different team after that and like a rejuvenated team. Right. And I think in that situation, like you have the ball. I don't know. I mean, I guess, like you said, they were going to lose those timeouts, so there's no other opportunity to use them. But I just think like the Warriors were looking so gassed. Steph had just missed a three, and it was really slipping away from them. Make them defend. You know, one more possession. If they're gassed, like, I feel like the defensive end is where they're really going to feel it and make them get another stop. Like, make them call a timeout. You know what I'm saying? Like, they came out and defended very, very well right after that. I think immediately out of that timeout, Clay defended Kawhi and forced him into an air ball on a turnaround. So I think you can argue they made it a little bit easier on the Warriors than they needed to. Yeah, and I think the disappointing thing for me, again, was... And look, maybe you're right. Maybe it was Lowry that signaled for it, and maybe Nurse is just kind of covering for his guy. But the disappointing thing for me was hearing Nurse say, you know, well, you lose those two at the three-minute mark if you don't use them. Because to me, that's everything Nurse isn't. Like, we've talked about how he's innovative and, and kind of thinks outside the box. And to, like, to think of him just using two timeouts when he maybe didn't need them because you lose them just felt very, like, old-school... Um, traditional, very think inside the box coaching, and that that just kind of surprised me to to at least hear him say that or admit it, whether he meant it or not. Yeah. All right, so let's look at some more like kind of big picture stuff here because the Warriors shot twenty for forty two from three point range in this game. They outscored the Raptors by thirty six from three point range. Yeah, the Raptors shot eight for thirty two. So to see that disparity and to know that the Warriors won by a point maybe doesn't give you a ton of confidence that they're going to be able to win game six, even though they are going back home. I'm sure that Oracle crowd is going to be fired up after it really seemed like the Raptors had shut that building down. We get another game back at Oracle. We'll see. But if we're looking at just sort of overall, you know, macro stuff, that's the second most threes that any team has ever hit in a finals game before. And that disparity was just ridiculous. And a lot of those threes were difficult threes. Like the shot making, particularly from Steph and Clay, was just unbelievable. But then you also have Draymond hitting two threes, including a huge three when they were clinging to a one-point lead midway through the fourth quarter. Iguodala hits a three. Cousins hits a three. Quinn Cook hits a big three in that fourth quarter. So I don't know if they can expect a repeat on that front. Um, and, and the Raptors, the same thing. I mean, they just shot the ball really, really poorly. You had uh, Lowry, Danny Green, and Kawhi shooting a combined three of 17 for three, and a lot of those were very good looks. Danny Green especially. I mean, just got some clean, clean looks that he couldn't knock down. Airballed one of them to start the fourth quarter. Yeah, off a great pass from uh, Ibaka on the short roll, which has been kind of a, a more and more frequent occurrence uh, throughout this series. He's 
started to really make some nice passes in the four on three. Found Green wide open in the corner. I think, was that the first possession? The first like offensive possession of the fourth quarter? Sec- yeah, it was 18 seconds into the fourth quarter. And airballed it long, just shot it, it was not over close. everything. Yeah. Um, and then you have Siakam, who was also 0 for 4 on corner threes. All of them wide open. Most of them off of some really nice passing sequences from the Raptors. And that led to them just taking him off the floor for the last nine minutes of the fourth quarter. They put Powell in there instead just to try and space things out a little bit because the Warriors were collapsing the middle. And that caused a lot of turnovers for Kawhi. He had five turnovers in this game. And the fact that they felt comfortable just abandoning Siakam in the corner and that he wasn't making them pay for it, I think, sort of forced the Raptors' hand. I I don't know if it would have made a difference having him out there for, for the end of the game, but... He wasn't giving them a whole awful lot at the offensive end. And there were even times after he missed all of those threes when he stopped even standing in the corner where he, like, he should have been at least there to space out and provide that threat. He started creeping toward the dunker spot. And again, that was just bringing extra attention and like three bodies around Kawhi when he was driving into the paint. They were loading up on him. Iguodala stripped him a couple of times. It just made things really difficult. Everything was kind of crowded in there. And, you know... Siakam can have a game like that where he's not hitting his threes, but when it is in conjunction with Lowry going one of six and Green going zero for four and Kawhi going two for seven, ultimately that was what the Raptors just couldn't survive. Yeah, and that the discrepancy in three point shooting, like when you get outshot twenty to eight and outscored by thirty six points from three in two thousand nineteen, you should lose by a lot more than one point. Yeah, and this is the one thing like if. If you're a Raptors fan, I think the confidence comes from Golden State's two wins in this series. Um, from a shooting perspective, like a lot went right. And the Raptors missed a lot of clean looks. And I understand that in this game, it's it seems weird to say a lot went right when Kevin Durant suffered the injury he suffered. But again, you talked about how good they were in those minutes. He was on the court. He doesn't play at all. I don't think they win that game. So like, I don't know. A lot did go right for the Warriors. Um and, and some of it was kind of like an outlier. And they still won by one. And in the same in game two, you know, it looked like they had take, seized control. And then if it's not for that Iguodala three or Livingston coming out with that loose ball, the Raptors have a chance for the win there. And maybe we're talking about a sweep. Like, it just feels like what we expected, which was that the Raptors are better than a Durantless Warriors team, has proven true now over five games. Mm-hmm. And the Warriors, like, scraped by two wins when really profile-wise, they should have won those games by a lot more. Whereas the Raptors, when they have their dominant stretches, like they truly dominate, right? They end up running away with it. So, I don't know. I, I, I still think it's very clear the Raptors are the better team based on who is left in this series. And so, it, I just have a hard time believing they're going to lose three straight. Maybe the Warriors muster up something in some final game at Oracle and Steph and Clay go supernova. But, I mean... Like, I, I feel like the Raptors can probably withstand that too. Like they're they're just the better team. They have the best player in the series. They've won three times at Oracle this year. They're the first team I think in 24 years to win three road games at Oracle in a season. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It wouldn't shock me if the Warriors, if the Raptors just shut it down at Oracle on Thursday. I don't think that's an insurmountable hill to climb. Right. Yeah. No. I I totally agree. I think they should be a little bit concerned with the volume of attempts they gave up to Stephen Clay. 27 combined threes, which. That's a lot. And, uh, you know, for the Raptors, I think they have to do a better job of just limiting those opportunities. And if they're getting 27 threes off, I think that means something's gone a little bit wrong for the defense. They hit 12 of them, too. So I think they can do a better job locking in there. And they, like I said, they had a bunch of breakdowns, including 
in those final three minutes when they allowed them to get three and, and snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. So they have a lot of stuff to clean up, I think, at the defensive end. I'll also say, I think this was the best that the Warriors' defenses looked in this entire series, maybe with the exception of that third quarter in Game 2. But I thought their defense overall was very good in this game. They did a good job, like I said, collapsing the middle, but also recovering out to shooters. They did a good job of scrambling. And, you know, they were pressuring the ball, I think, with a lot of intensity and ferocity. And, you know, after suffering the loss that they did when Durant went down, I thought they gathered themselves in really impressive fashion and and managed to defend at a high level for pretty much the rest of the game. Yeah, they were locked in. I mean, and and even coming out of the break after the Durant injury, it was... The Warriors definitely looked like the team that were playing for something. The Raptors almost looked more shell-shocked than the Warriors did. And Cousins especially um, just came out firing after that injury. And I don't know, maybe he was... Personal 7-0 run. Like, yeah. immediately after coming in when Durant got yeah. hurt. And that included hitting a three, but also he was really effective in the pick and roll. Yeah. Whether that was finishing on the roll or he made a great pass to Draymond in the dunker spot out of the roll. He was great. And... I mean, he a got a couple offensive rebounds in that yeah, stretch yeah. too. He got cooked the inside. at the defensive end, specifically by Lowry. I mean, Lowry just eviscerated him in the pick and roll. But even so, I mean, they needed those minutes that they got from him, especially with Kevon Looney going out by re-aggravating his injury. They absolutely needed what they got from Cousins. And Looney's now saying he wants to play game six. Right. The Looney thing is weird because the whole reason he was able to play with this fracture or broken bone in his rib area um, was because he, the team, everyone said like he couldn't, couldn't make, make it, it worse. worse. Which we, we don't have any evidence no, no, right now that no, that's not the and case. And I'm not saying it's worse. I'm just confused because like, how do you re-aggravate something that's broken? Like, you know it's broken. It's right. not getting worse. It's not like he re-broke it. That's what I was confused about. They're like, oh, he I, re-aggravated. What, it just the pain got? Yeah, I, t- I took like, that to mean it was like a pain threshold right. thing. Where, um, And I heard... I can't remember who, but somebody basically suggested that he'd just been shot up with cortisone and then it wore off by the second half. And I'm sure he took some hits that made it worse as well, but it might have just been, you know, that the painkiller wasn't quite working the way that it had in the first half. Yeah, I mean, the wounded in this series, it's pretty ridiculous. (laughs) More so on the Warriors' side, but even on the Raptors' side, like Lowry playing through a left thumb injury that's probably going to need surgery in the offseason. Kawhi despite how powerful he has looked at times, is playing on a gimpy-ish leg. Yeah. Um, Van Vliet's got a thumb injury, and his face got busted yeah. open. Uh, yeah, a lot of attrition Iguodala's sure. banged up. Yeah. Cousins, we know all that he's come back from to play in this series. Looney, Clay, like... It's it's actually mental. Yeah. I mean, this, <laughs> this is what you get when you're playing basketball in June, I suppose. Yeah. You, you've played over 100 games, and it catches up to you. Um, you know, I think... We don't have to turn this into a conversation about the NBA season, but uh, I think there's a lot of evidence at this point that a shortened season would be pretty good for everyone involved. Even if you want to bring this back to the Durant injury, I mean, the, the injury that he suffered the first time around, you could say might have had to do with his workload. He was playing like 45 plus minutes. In, and like in pretty heavy much, burden minutes, man. Like, yeah, like we're talking thirty plus usage on the offensive end, and often guarding some of the best players on the other end. Right, and I, and you know, with that coming at the tail end of an eighty-two game season, it's just there's a lot of accumulated wear and tear that I think leaves your body probably in a more vulnerable state. I don't know. I mean, there's probably given all we've talked about over the course of the season whether it's with guys getting injured or whether it's with Kawhi being load-managed and being able to put in the playoff performance that he's put in, 
I think there there's going to be a big focus next year on how to best optimize players' health. And um, I think that it should be. It should be a focus because that's the most important thing. There is no game without these players. And, you know, just to bring it back to Durant, man, to, to see him go down like that in a game of this magnitude at a moment in his career where so much is up in the air. I mean, it, it changes things for him. It changes things for the Warriors. It changes things for the entire league. It's a seismic shift. Yeah. And, and that's why, I mean, like we, we led with it off the top, even though there was a finals closeout game that had just happened. It all sort of felt secondary in the end to what had happened to one of the game's great players. Yeah, and that's what was so eerie about the being like backstage at the arena last night was that it did not feel like I was, I was covering a finals game at that point. It, it felt like I was covering a very just somber gathering of media about an injury. Like it, it was really so surreal like I said, it, like you said, it basically felt like the finals game and a potential closeout finals game was trivial at that point because um, everyone was just so shook and concerned about Kevin Durant. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully, I don't know. I, hopefully the injury news doesn't end up being as bad as everyone assumes and, and, and reports it's going to be, but that seems like a long shot at this point. Hopefully this series gives us like some good basketball to talk about in game six and potentially game seven and... Uh, people can start to heal from this because it, it really was like, uh, don't get me wrong. I understand at the end of the day, it's basketball. Um, and we're talking about a pro athlete who's still, you know, very well taken care of. So to say traumatic is, is a little dramatic. But from a basketball perspective and for people that are very invested in the game, it, it really was a kind of a traumatic night. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download The Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. To kind of end this on a positive note, what an unbelievable performance by the Warriors. Like, I've, I just think they deserve all the credit in the world. And for as much as we talked about what the Raptors could have done better and how they sort of shrunk a bit down the stretch and the curious decisions that Nick Nurse made, I think this game ultimately should be remembered as one of the great gutsy performances of this Warriors era. Effing Giants. Steve Kerr called them. I believe, was it in the Clippers series? or the, No, the Rockets series, right, because it was yeah. when Durant went down and they still won that game. And Steve Kerr called them effing Giants. Um, and that's what they are. And I, and I will say on that note, I think this is the season that, look, I'm still all about, um, you know, digging into the process and not reading too much into the results. And I'm obviously still more about looking at the facts of basketball and not into like the intangibles that people get too swept up in. But I will say this season and this postseason in particular um, has me leaning just a little bit more into some of those intangibles and the immeasurables. You know, I talked about even just the Raptors run and the look in Kyle Lowry's eye, you know, and Marcus Saul and these vets that want it so bad. And I've talked about how I do think that played a factor in the first three rounds of just this team almost feels like no like no one's taking this from us at this point but from the warriors perspective there's also like a man like the, i've said it last week but their old rudy tom Janovich quote of like never underestimate the heart of a champion like these guys got pride man and these guys are great players this team is great they're a 
basically a dynasty for the last half decade. And they are not going to go quietly into the night. And it was the same thing like Ray Allen in 2013 when the Heat staved off elimination and ended up winning the title. It's like, man, you know, to become a champion, obviously, there's there's something in you anyway. But the pride of defending that championship and not wanting to be knocked off that throne, there's something there, you know. There's something you're playing for even though you're all, you've already won three. And it's just been great to watch the, the way, even game two when the Warriors won, it was the same thing. Clay goes down, they're already without Durant, and they muster up the will to get that game. It's like, man, mm. there's just something there that you can't necessarily measure by rewatching the game film, even though each of us will do it five times, that there, there really is just the heart of a champion there that you cannot underestimate. I think there's also just a lot of shared institutional knowledge there. So many guys who were on the floor last night have been playing together for the last five years. You know, between Steph and Clay, Draymond, you mentioned Iguodala, the Iggy defensive play at the end, Sean Livingston. I mean, even though I think they were outgunned and all exhausted and banged up, I think that that shared knowledge and you know their ability to run those sets with such crispness and to to get those shots off in spite of the fact that you know they were all gassed and that the Raptors seemingly had all the momentum on their side and had the you know, the defense to basically lock down whatever actions they wanted to run, they they managed to execute, and they managed to out-execute the Raptors down the stretch. And I just think that comes from having played together and having played in these kind of big moments for so, so long. And I mean, look, we, <laughs> I know the circumstances are probably different than we imagined, but you did predict that the Raptors would go up 3-1 in this series and that it would come back to a Game 7, and that they would ultimately win in that Game 7. Do you still think that's the case, or do you think they're winning in Game 6? I think, I think they're winning in Game 6 now. Um, yeah, I, I definitely thought, again, not the circumstances I saw it, but I thought they could, they'd go up 3-1 and then need multiple shots to close it out, and I, and I just assumed, okay, Durant's probably back by that point. It goes to Game 7. W- without Durant, and I don't know, just what we were talking about, about you know how much needed to go right, uh, after that Durant injury from a shot-making perspective and the Warriors to still barely eke out that game, just makes me think the Raptors are going to come out with the type of focus we saw in games three and four, put a pretty complete effort together, clean up some of the stuff that they um, they missed in game five, even just the way they let Steph and Clay. You mentioned the 27 three-point sounds like the strength of the Raptors in the first four games without Durant on the floor was their ability to keep the ball away from Stephen Clay for so much. Like between Lowry, Van Vliet, and Green, and that slipped in Game 5. I don't think that will slip again in Game 6. And I think the better team will prevail. I also think we've just seen this so many times with the Raptors where they lose the type of game that might psychologically cripple another team, you know, whether it's a previous iteration of the Raptors or whatever it should happen to be. Like, those kind of qualifiers don't seem to really apply to this team like they just sort of go about their business fix what needs to be fixed and and bounce back in in ways that based on the talent they have on the roster should be expected but just based on what we've come to expect from years of watching sports we know the sort of psychological toll that losses like that can take and Raptors teams of years past have given us reason to believe in that kind of stuff but not this team. I mean, like, they, they know how good they are. And they know what they're capable of at both ends of the floor. They know what they need to do, and they've proven very capable of just going out and doing it when they had to. That said, I, 
I think game six is like a toss-up. I I agree with that. I think it's like a 50-50 shot. could go either way. Um, and a lot of it is just going to come down to whether the Warriors are making shots or not. Because um, the Raptors' defense is, uh, even in this game, even for all the slip-ups they had, was still very good. Uh, you know, and still had some moments where, like you were talking about them getting stops on on six of the last seven possessions before Nick Nurse called those timeouts. Like, the Warriors weren't getting anything. And, you know, for a large portion of this game, the Raptors' defense was keying in and, and taking away those off-ball actions and all the stuff that we've seen them do throughout this playoff run. So I, I definitely give them a good shot, but I also think, you know, behind an energized Oracle crowd with maybe a sort of spiritual lift that they might get from, from knowing that Durant is out and wanting to play and win for him, that the Warriors could come out with an inspired performance and, and reach a level that the Raptors can't match. I can see that happening as well. But you're still sticking with Raptors to win it all? I'm sticking with the Raptors to win it all, but I'll go Raptors in seven. Just uh, so, uh, so we have a little bit of an interesting contrast here in our right. picks. So I'm now going Raptors in six, but if they win in seven, I'll still take credit for calling <laughs> it from the game. I'll tell you, hedge your bets. Right win, there. win, baby, as, lo- as long as the Warriors. Um, I just want to say one more thing before we sign off, which is I, we've talked about this guy a lot, and I know he's taking some heat right now because of the way that he finished the game with a couple of unfortunate plays, one of which was that that turnover into the backcourt when he was going downhill and probably should have just kept going to the basket but decided to whip a pass behind him that was nowhere near Marcus All and was a turnover. And then the last shot of the game, which got blocked by Draymond, but which I think in real time a lot of people just assumed had been a shot that he threw behind the backboard. See, I didn't assume that. I saw people I didn't going nuts either, about but... Kyle Lowry airballing potential uh, shot for the championship and right. I was like Wait, have you guys never watched basketball before <laughs> you think that's that was the trajectory of that shot it was clearly deflected like, yeah um so he he's taken some flack and I, I just want to say like up until those last couple minutes Lowry was playing an unbelievable game I mean he kept the Raptors afloat in the third and fourth quarter uh, Kawhi spent a bit of that portion on the bench and Lowry was doing everything I mean like I said like just carving them up in pick and roll get into the basket. He gnashed the pick and roll one time and got Serge Ibaka a dunk. I mean, he had one play where it was a late clock scenario. The ball found its way to DeMarcus Cousins at the top of the key. Lowry came out of nowhere to block the ball before he could get the shot off and then ran it down and went the other way for a layup, which was just, he did everything that they needed him to do until it came time to close it out. And unfortunately, like that turnover, I think was really the play that stands out to me because again, the shot itself was like, basically a desperation shot with Draymond Green closing out. You can't put that on Lowry. Um, But I just, I I would hope at this point that it doesn't need to be said, but I know that he's going to be taking flack for the way that that game ended, and it's it's totally undeserved. It does need to be said, unfortunately, because if you see the reaction last night on social media, like, people were uh, just roasting him. Yeah. And I didn't understand it because, as you mentioned, Lowry put them in the position for Kawhi to then take over and put them seemingly over the hump at that point. Lowry put them in that position early in the fourth quarter. Lowry's playmaking actually kept them in the game early. He hadn't scored yet, but he had four assists in like the first nine minutes. On some really nice bounce passes. Beautiful bounce passes. He was picking the Warriors apart early, and that was the reason the Raptors were in the game in the first quarter, despite the fact that the Warriors were shooting the lights out and Durant was playing well. So yeah, I... I thought Lowry had a great game. He had one very bad turnover with a couple minutes left. He missed an open three with a couple minutes left, but Kawhi yeah. missed two jumpers in the final three minutes too. So really... And Lowry then, was the only guy who actually 
scored after they came right. out of those timeouts. He got that layup, layup that was a, a goaltend on Cousins. But yeah, yeah the um, that missed three was tough because they it was so it, Clay had hit that first three and they were up by three points and him and Kawhi like ran that corner action. And the Warriors top-locked Kawhi, and then he cut back door. Two Warriors followed him, and Lowry popped to the wing and got, like, a wide-open wing three and, and he just bricked couldn't it. knock it down. But that's no, what I'm saying. But, but Kawhi missed two shots, including an air ball, in the final three minutes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the final shot Lowry missed was just a poor spacing, and Draymond made a great defensive play. It happens. He Again, the turnover was terrible. He should have either gone up or... Yeah, he probably should have gone up. There was two seconds left in the shot clock. If you get blocked, you get blocked. It's a bad play, but it's better than throwing the ball 40 feet backwards into the backcourt. That was bad, but overall, Lowry had a good game. And yeah, the fact that we do still need to explain to people that like he isn't defined by the fact he got his shot blocked in the end is ridiculous. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why Kyle Lowry is such an easy target, but there were a lot of other reasons the Raptors lost that game. I assure you, Kyle Lowry is the reason they had a chance to win the game. I'll agree with that. I actually think if there was a scapegoat in that game, it was Danny Green. Because on top of missing... And Siakam. Yeah, Siakam wasn't great. But on top of missing the the four threes, um, I just thought he had a really tough time in this game with Curry's off-ball movement. Especially in the first half. Like, a lot of the, the threes that Curry got open for were just Green getting hum, hung up on screens. Or just, like, getting a step behind when Curry was making a cut off of the ball. And a lot of that falls on him. Yeah, it was the worst defensive game I've seen Green play, at least in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So. so, there you have it. Uh, the Warriors win just like a crazy, weird, emotional roller coaster of a Game 5, and uh, we're going back to Oracle for Game 6. So, And we await, uh, we await news on KD. Yeah. All right. For Joe Wolf on, I'm Joseph Cacharo, Pound the Rock. Pound the Rock.